You're listening to an exclusive podcast with the UCLA Radio News team. My name is Ryan Smith, and welcome back to the weekly podcast. Our UCLA Radio News hosts had a lot to talk about, with topics ranging from UCLA's new Human Rights Institute, to the bustling bodies on Bruin Walk, to the computers that dot the classrooms of South Campus basements. Our reporter Allison had the privilege of speaking to leaders of the Promise Institute at UCLA, which is the new center for human rights education, research, and advocacy across the globe. Sure, I'm Tendaya Chume and I am a law professor here at UCLA. I'm also the UN Special Rapporteur on Contemporary Forms of Racism, Racial Discrimination, Xenophobia and Related Intolerance. And I'm Kate McIntosh, I'm the Executive Director of the Promise Institute for Human Rights. Awesome, so what exactly is the Promise Institute? So the Promise Institute is situated in the law school, but we take an interdisciplinary approach and we are all about training the next generation of human rights lawyers and leaders and generating uh, exciting new approaches and new solutions to the contemporary human rights problems that we're facing. Gotcha. So what is the brief history of this institute? Because I know it's a new thing. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, So the law school received a transformational gift to launch a new institute in human rights and one of the first things that was done was to recruit the executive director and I arrived in August last year and I've been working with the international law faculty here and with faculty across campus actually in lots of different disciplines to work out what will we focus on and how are we going to make an impact from our base here at the law school. Awesome. So yeah, in what capacity can undergrad students get involved in your work? So. There's actually a number of different ways, but the way that I will highlight is actually through our programming. One of the exciting things about having the Promise Institute on campus is that we now regularly are hosting some of the leading international human rights advocates, judges, policy makers from all over the world. And my experience with UCLA undergrads is that they care about the rest of the world, that there are many of them who think about working abroad, who think about working internationally, but they don't know what that would look like, right? So what does it mean to have a job at the UN? What does it mean to do human rights work? What does it mean to do human rights work even right here in LA? And by attending the talks and the events that we have at Promise, it's a really easy way for students to be able to answer some of these questions and to answer to get answers to these questions from leaders in the field. And so we have, I think we have a newsletter, or we have a web page actually yes. that yeah. has an events uh, link and we also are on social media mm-hmm. and regularly are advertising events. And so um, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about our symposium that we have coming up, which we hope undergrads will attend. But I would say the events that we have are a really great resource for students who are interested in human rights internationally, but then also locally. Awesome. So yeah, can you tell us about some of these upcoming events and how we can find them? Yes. Okay, so I, I will jump in with the symposium and then maybe Kate has some other exciting events mm-hmm. that undergrads would be interested in. So on March 8th, we're holding a, a human rights uh, conference or symposium at UCLA. And one of the exciting things about the conference is that we're really thinking about different ways in which human rights might be relevant for addressing problems of racial injustice and racial inequality. 
And so as all undergrads on campus will know, we are living in a time when issues around racial justice and racial inequality are very heavily contested. And there are many conversations about what our future will look like. What is the role of law? What is the role of rights in this future? And this conference is about bringing together academics, activists, um, students, uh, to really have a conversation about what the role of human rights is in, ad in addressing racial justice. And one of the exciting things is that we will have many different people coming to speak, including the former High Commissioner for Human Rights. Uh, for those of you who did Model UN, this will be very um, exciting. And then we also have law school faculty, but also faculty from around the world who are doing the leading thinking around race and human rights. So we really hope undergrads will join us, especially those that are really interested in thinking dynamically and in new and interesting ways about problems, even right here in LA. Awesome. Kate, do you have any events to add into this? Yes, I do. <laughs> well, we have, um, as Tendai said, we've had some fantastic events so far this year with really some leading people. Uh, we've got this symposium coming up, which is like the flagship event. Um, I also wanted to mention that on the 11th of March, we're going to have the screening of a film called Brave Girl Rising, um, which is the story of a girl from the Dadaab refugee camp in Kenya, Somali, a girl of Somali origin, and her kind of inspiring story about how she uh, got out of that situation. Um, and there'll be a panel, the filmmakers will be here to discuss it. And also, excitingly, the poet, Warsan Shire, will be here. So I don't know if you know Warsan yeah. Shire, but she's a British, Somali origin. She wrote the lyrics to Beyonce's Lemonade. Oh. And uh, yeah, she's, uh, she, was, she was also part of the film. What is the role of a poet yeah. in residence? Well, we're going to find out. <laughs> One of the things we want to do, as I said at the beginning, we're based in the law school, but really in our DNA is that, you know, new approaches and exciting new ideas come from bringing diverse points of view together. Mm. And that doesn't just mean different people working in law, although that's really interesting here at UCLA mm. as well. It really means people from different disciplines. And for me, it also includes bringing in things like poetry, you know, which can speak mm. sometimes a deeper truth than prose and academic writing. So a poet called Karen McCarthy Wolf, who works on a number of the themes that the Promise Institute's really interested in examining, and that includes race, migration, and the environment, um, is going to come, and she'll actually be housed in the English department, creative writing, but her whole project is to work with the Promise Institute on issues of human rights, so we're really excited about it's that. It's true, and it's, it's exciting also because she does poetry related to migration as well, yeah. right? So yeah, migration absolutely. is one of the things that um, was an area, it's my area of research, but it's also a, a theme that will be addressed at the, at the symposium. I should have mentioned one of the driving um, forces behind the symposium is thinking about radical ways of reimagining the ways that we use human rights and the way that we use law. And this, this having a poet in residence, I think, is tied to that. Exactly. Part of the work of reimagining a world that we want to live in. You don't want to leave that work to lawyers alone. Lawyers should not be trusted to do reimagining alone. So it's really great that we have a, a, a poet in residence um, coming in. And that will hopefully be another way for us to engage with undergrads in yeah. the law school as absolutely. well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And it also brings uh, maybe it's interesting to think about the creation of the Institute because one thing I didn't mention in the story is that the gift, the foundational gift for the Institute, uh, the same donor also 
funded the first ever Hollywood film about the Armenian genocide, like oh, a really? feature film about the Armenian mm. genocide, which is called The Promise. Yeah. And that's why we're called The Promise ah. Institute. So, you know, our creational myth mixes kind of human rights and the arts, and we're located in Los Angeles, and I think for me that really seems to be a relevant you know, origin myth and, <laughs> and, and comparative advantage and something that we need to do something with. And I don't know exactly what shape that will take, but, you know, we're doing film screenings. Uh, that actually was already a great event looking at storytelling in Hollywood and human rights. Now we've got a poet in residence. And I think this sort of conversation between the more structured, kind of legal, academic world and the more creative artistic world is something that, uh, you know, all of us are really yeah. interested in exploring. Speaking of peace, you won't find it on Bruinwalk. The Concrete Hill is notorious for being crowded, noisy, and obstructed. So why is it so many students choose to saunter up this path as frequently as they tune into UCLA Radio? Here's Luca with more. Bruinwalk, a narrow walkway made narrower by parallel lines of eager students promoting their clubs, organizations, events, and charities. At any given point, Bruin Walk's population can be between 2 and 200, making it prime real estate for any social group desiring general exposure to UCLA students and staff. But how effective is it really? Just by existing as the central location for advertisement, Bruin Walk directs traffic to an adjacent side path and jam steps. If so many students detest the congestion and accept the guilt of ignoring students asking for donations for any number of philanthropic endeavors, why is it still the home of Kalperg Dance Marathon and that one man who day after day approaches students with an unassuming, can I ask you something, only to embark on a pious plea to save your faltering faith? To understand this a little more fully, I interviewed Juan Santos, a second year advertising for an anonymous student organization on Bruin Walk on March 1st. How many flyers do you hand out every hour? Um, probably when I'm flying, I hand out like... 20, 30 flyers. Okay, and then what percentage of people would you say don't ignore you and actually take a piece of promotional material? Of like people on Bruin Walk? Yeah. I'd say like probably like 15 to 20%. Okay. And of those people, how many stop and actually talk to you about your organization? <laughs> like 1%. Well, I get very few conversations about, about what we're doing, yeah. Okay, and lastly, as both a student who walks Bruin Walk and a flyer on Bruin Walk, do you feel this is the best way to promote student organizations? Personally, I don't think this is the best way to promote student organizations. I think it's pretty obvious that, like, you know, people kind of view Bruin Walk with contempt. But that being said, I've had moments where, like, I hand someone a flyer and, like, they were obviously, like, very interested in it. And, like, they came up actually and asked us about it later. Um, and so, like, I guess in that sense, like, I think it is worth it for, like, those few couple few people that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, um, and yeah, I mean, like, also as a student, like, walking through here, like, I'll pick up flyers and I'll actually read them. Like, especially because I do flyer, like, I'll, like, I'll respect you and read the flyer and see what's happening. Um, you know, most of the time it doesn't really apply to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think it's not the most effective, but it has its benefits. It has its merits. So although Bruin Walk is popular with some and not with others, it is still an important part of the UCLA campus experience. It is a hub for the dissemination of information, both informative and social, and it allows for students to discover, explore, and promote their passions. Reporting for UCLA Radio News, this is Luca McDougall.
UCLA is home to nearly 150 undergraduate major programs and offers a student body with diverse perspectives and interests. Sophia met with a student whose interests in mental health and computer science converge in his newest app. My name is Sahen Rai, and uh, I created an app called Your Love. Sahen is a first-year computer science major who's debuting his mental health app called You Are Loved at UCLA. So um, last year, I you know, was senior in high school and I lost a classmate to suicide. And so, um, you know, it took a while to kind of like, you know, come to terms with what happened and like, um, you know, just understand it. And um, eventually I had an idea that, um, you know, people should be able to like talk about their mental health and like talk about their feelings. And I think that's one of the hardest things about, um, you know, tackling uh, depression and anxiety is that people don't, People, you know, as a whole, you know, everyone, no one really likes to talk about their feelings. Um, and so uh, what You Are Loved, you know, allows you to do is just enter a number every day, or, you know, however long you can. And then it figures out, like, an average of, like, how you're feeling. And then you can add your friends, and then they can see, like, how you're feeling. And then that way it's kind of, like, almost an indirect way of telling people how you feel without feeling like you have to, like, you know, say it. The process is easy, and the app is streamlined and very user-friendly. It's currently available on the Apple App Store for iPhones. So you download the app, uh, sign up with a username, password, um, and then a phone number. And um, so after you're signed up, you can go ahead and uh, you have a code that goes with your account. You send your code and your username to your friends, and then they can just add you with that. And then um, every time you open the app, it's going to ask you to enter how you feel on a scale of 1 to 10. And over time, it generates like an average of how you're feeling. It keeps track of like when you feel that way, and then um, whenever your friend like checks their like list of friends, they can just see a simple number of like how you feel, whether that's like anywhere from one to ten. Um, and then additionally, you can also look at like uplifting articles to make you feel better. Um, it sends you like daily reminders every day, just like you know positive thinking, and um, also gives you like a graph of like how you're feeling, so you can just kind of like see you know where you're at on certain days, or just, you know, what days are more tough, so you can, like, prepare. And then eventually my goal with it is to actually take it to schools. Um, and so basically allow um, through, so say for example, you're a student, you can just enter the code of your school, and then your school administrator can actually keep track of how a certain group of students is feeling, or just the school as a whole, through, um, like, through our website. According to the National Institute of Health, 80% of kids aged 6 to 17 did not receive the mental health care they needed. The You Are Loved app has the ability to help both students and counselors with mental health at schools across the nation. Sahen himself is a student too, so he takes advantage of his opportunities here at school to help others with the skills he has. I think, you know, learning some ideas from my major has like, been helpful, but I think more of it's just been like my personal interest in like what the topic is as opposed to like the actual, you know, you know theory behind it. Because I wouldn't say I'm like a great, you know, good, great, really good at like developing, really good at like actual like computer science but I think that like um, I do enjoy like using it to like um, combat things or like using it to like solve problems and things like that. So, you know after what happened I really wanted to have mental health be the goal of you know my life. It'd be like the thing that like I really wanted to work on and so um, once I came here I thought like you know after I graduate maybe I can work for a company that does this or you know maybe even start something but you know, I thought, why not just try to do something now because, you know, it's a, it's a great place to work on some things that you're passionate about. Additionally, his app raises awareness for mental health and destigmatizes conversations surrounding it. Having a virtual space to communicate feelings is often easier than and equally as important as in-person conversation. Where I'm really focusing on is like 
getting people to like talk about mental health, to get talk about their feelings, because I think keeping track of your emotions and like getting data and things like that is like something that you know a lot of apps are already doing. But I think um, where a lot of people like it, or like where at least I also personally think is really important, is the actual like tracking aspect of it. It's like the seeing how people are doing, talking about mental health, you know, that part. I mean, I've always had like hopes that I could do something, you know, that really helps people. And I think this has shown me that like, you know, it's possible. For UCLA Radio News, I'm Sophia Donskoy. And no matter what you do today, remember that you are loved. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast and be sure to follow us on Instagram at UCLA Radio News for updates. I'm Ryan Smith. Tune in next week.